Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, MrDiceGuy.com, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I'll be talking about Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Ian? Well, I'm going to be talking about Dinogenics because Ryan's going to be talking about... Dinosaur Island. (laughs) (laughs) Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we are into playing, thinking, doing board games. I'm going to start us off because mine really isn't board games, but kind of board game junkie connected. Um, If uh, anybody knows me at all or doesn't know me at all, good for you, first of all. Um, uh, (laughs) But uh, I love me some woodworking and I love me some carving. Um, I'm designing and building birdhouse dice towers for wingspan because I, I caved and I bought a copy. I, I need one of these. I don't even, I don't even know what they look like and I want one. So yeah, make it out of Oak and I'm trying to do a nice little kind of uh, vintagey looking birdhouse and have that be the dice tower. Why? Because I have this extra Oak kicking around in my, in my shop. So uh, that's one of the things I'm doing. Uh, another one is uh, uh, um, I mentioned just the idea of it and, and Ryan just started frothing, but cause I have a, just a cheap old cardboard box holding my hero realms connection collection. I said, Oh, I should make a wooden box and just carve hero realms on the top. And then you went, I want one right now. I, I, I want one. I'm offended that you called that cardboard box that I gave you cheap. <laughs> was it, was it under 20 bucks? We're close. <laughs> okay, sorry. I recant my statement. Um, so, and uh, and the last thing that I in my in my uh, cluttered carpenter's table um, is I'm designing dice trays for D and D with a cribbage style pegboard system that tracks um, spells and hit points and so on and so forth. So, um, uh, haven't really been uh, um, playing many games, but I have been. Um, deep into uh, um, stuff that uh, stuff that is Zen for me that is related to board games. So I'm pretty sure that uh, people in our board game community will will see and have access to z- some of these uh, wingspan birdhouse dice towers that uh, that I'll be. You, you could set up shop at the game store and probably sell <laughs> at least a dozen of them. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. I, I just don't want to do something that all of a sudden I've got a list of 14 customers going, okay, I want mine. 
yesterday. <laughs> you gonna set up your Etsy store? My little Etsy shop. <laughs> yeah. So so my my uh, plain thinking doing is pretty short and sweet. Just board game woodwork and stuff. Who wants cool. next? I'll go next. Um, a game that I've been playing is one of my newer games, and that's Dune, which of course is a really old game. Yeah. And uh, just got a re a new re release. Finally, after years of legal mumbo jumbo, they finally got a got the chance to release Dune again. And this is a very interesting game, you guys. It is wild. It's like Cosmic Encounter, because these are the Cosmic Encounter designers that made this. It's like if you threw Cosmic Encounter with a game like Diplomacy or Game of Thrones. And so it's got the wildness of that with the strict war game aspect of the other ones. Um, And so I will just say that the first game we played that night of Dune, uh, I lost in the second turn of the game. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the kind of game we're talking about. Which can totally happen. If you are not paying attention, it can happen. And it did in this case. And so we had a lot of time to play a second game. And so we played a second game. And that one went a lot better because me and the other guy who lost, we were like, okay, well, now we know what we got to watch for and and uh, who we've got to gang up on. And um, But it's really neat because these factions, you've got like the main factions. For those who know the Dune world, you've got like the Fremen who are the desert people, the Harkonnens who are the villains, um, the Atreides who are kind of the main family that you follow. And they've all got very different abilities. I wouldn't say it's like root level different, but it's close. Like mm-hmm. the way that you play is going to be very different depending on who you are. The problem is, is that the guy who at the table, who's the most pacifist out of all of us was the Harkonnens who were like the big bad villains who should be aggressive, very aggressive. And he just didn't want to be aggressive. And so that wasn't matched up very well. Um, so it's a pretty swingy game. You got to be careful for that. Uh, but I think just the way that the powers can interact is going to be very interesting. I will say, I think, because we played it three players, I think it will be vastly better with four or more players. Absolutely. I'm getting that sense. Have you played it, Norm? Is- I, I've played the original game. I remember when back in high school that uh, buddy of mine got the game. We were both into the novels. And uh, so, yeah, we, we pl- oh man, I remember we played this nonstop for a year. Um, and uh, it's one of those games, I mean, you hit it right on the bell. It's one of those games that you, you have to play, play it at full count. Because if you don't play it at full yeah. count, then the game's not running. It's like it's like having an engine and you're not like you know pushing you know the pedal down, right? You got to run it on all cylinders, or this this engine just doesn't fire up properly. And I mean, it was it was the original version. Um, it was uh, diabolical back in the day, and it's it like you said, it holds true to today. It's it's a it's a fight and a half, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, I own the Twilight Imperium version of Dune, which is uh, referred to as Rex, the final days of the Empire, which I believe is just, 
from what I've heard, like I've never played mm-hmm. Dune, but from the conversations that I've heard is that it's almost a, as close to Dune, but with just a different skin yeah. on, on top of it. Yeah, and it's just because they couldn't get the licensing. They yeah. they could do the game, but they yeah. couldn't get the license. So that's and what it, it it works from the same world of Twilight Imperium because you've got these warring factions of of races in in this in this world and everything like that. So it, it, I think it trans from what I can tell because I've never read the Dune novels and I, mm-hmm. but I, it, was a, it was a very appropriate universe to set the game. Yeah. In. Yeah, I have both, and I did. Uh, I looked at the comparisons, and and it's just a reskinning. And I think, as far as the rule set goes, with the with the Rex rule set, they they had a more streamlined rule set comparatively to the Dune, because the Dune, uh, Ian, you've probably seen all the variants in the back. With the uh, you could play this version or add this version, and. And uh, in Rex, they looked at the entirety of these rule sets and went, how can we make this functional, but not as complicated as the original? So, yeah. And they're both phenomenal games. Absolutely. But I'm really eager to play it with at least four players. Count me in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Count me in. Me. Ryan, your turn. So you guys are probably going to laugh because I mentioned in the last episode <laughs> that everybody's going to be talking about Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. Well, surprise, I'm going to talk about Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, just because um, I didn't know this ahead of time, but this is exactly what I wanted Gloomhaven to be uh, right from the get-go. I, did, I didn't know it then. I do know it now. So if people don't know what the difference is between Gloomhaven and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is that Jaws of the Lion is kind of like a more condensed version of Gloomhaven. Uh, uh, Like the the box is less than half the size of the original Gloomhaven. It's kind of like you're, it's kind of like stuffed into like a Terra Mystica or like a stone age size box instead of a coffin. (laughs) But um, what Jaws of the Lion really does well here and, my, my wife will attest to this too, is that it teaches you how to play the game gloom. It teaches you how to play Gloomhaven um, slowly. It doesn't jump, throw you into the wolves right from the get go. You have to know all of the rule set right up front, rather over the course of about five scenarios, it will teach you the rules. It'll slowly introduce things to you. So like in the first scenario, you're only learning how to play your cards and move and learn about monster movement. That's really all you're doing in the first scenario. Second scenario does a little bit more where it just kind of introduces like traps and it introduces um, like doors and it introduces just other little, little things. And then scenario three, a little bit more scenario four is more the speed of like an actual like regular Gloomhaven scenario. Okay. It's kind of got uh, everything thrown into in there. And then scenario five is regular Gloomhaven, but it's a, it's the boss fight Gloomhaven scenarios. So over the course of those five scenarios, you will learn at the end of five, you are in Gloomhaven mode. You'll know pretty much everything there is about that. It's a big improvement over the Gloomhaven coffin size box. OG Gloomhaven, I'll refer to it as, um, <laughs> Because he introduced this fact of like 
there's the scenario books where you open up the scenario book and then there is the map you're going to play on. So you open up the book, the book is the playing area rather than I have to fiddle around with 50 plus tiles to stick them all together and set them all up. That, that, that front work is done by adding in this, these, these scenario books and having you to play inside of the book. I kind so of the book really, is the map. Yeah. The book is the board. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And then, and then the next, then you flip the page, there's the next scenario. That's very cool. Now, some of the scenarios, so some of the scenario maps are a little bit larger. And so they come out, they have a, a secondary book. They call it the supplementary book. And every now and then you'll have a, you'll just have to turn to a page and you just slide it next to the already open book and it kind of extends the map. Hmm. I really, really enjoy that. It cuts down the setup time of this game immensely. That's brilliant which is one of the things that I didn't like about original Gloomhaven was that uh, the setup time. Now people are going to, some, some people I know I've commented on the, our Facebook group saying, um, do I need to get Jaws of the Lion if I'm a Gloomhaven veteran? And the answer is depends. Do you want more Gloomhaven <laughs> or are you just satisfied with what your experience is? Cause this is not going to offer you uh, tons of new stuff. But the new narrative is actually pretty fun and engaging. And especially if you want to introduce people to Gloomhaven, this gives you a really good way to do that. And new characters, right? You have four new characters and you can play these characters in um, original Gloomhaven yeah, as well. Cool. My only complaint is even though they cut down the side, like they cut down the amount of content that's inside the box, <laughs> the box that they chose is still, still too small for the amount of stuff that, they, that you need, especially if you want to keep the original insert. Well, that's a good um, complaint to have though. Yeah. They, so they still kept the original Gloomhaven experience of you have too much stuff to put back in the box. <laughs> so, well, you know, I really hope that this release like gets Gloomhaven a little bit more uh, awareness. Cause I think, it's just such a small game that we need to talk about it more and really get the hype up on it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Gloomhaven didn't really do all that all fight that well. The, no, fight for these underdogs. Yeah, they didn't. It didn't get hyped at, at all. At all. The, the, this this is my this is my appetizer for when Frosthaven releases a little bit later this year. Oh, you're gonna yes. shut down pretty quick here. <laughs> cool. <laughs> This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And we are back. We are going to proceed to the review section. and The reviews. The reviews. And considering the fact that it's reptile time, uh, we've got a couple dino reviews. Uh, I'm going to start it off because my dinosaur is the oldest. It's a, it's a dragon, people. So I'm going to start us off with the Dungeons oh, and all, Dragons. It's also, it's also made up. So Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition Starter Kit is what I'm going to talk about. It's not really, this is, the, this is the weird part. It's not really a game review. It's the review of a kit of a game. 
Um, so let's get to the game details. I'm going to quickly give you the bullet point history of Dungeons & Dragons. It is a fantasy tabletop role-playing game originally designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Ar uh, Arneson, published in 1974, Tactical Studios, uh, which is TSR. Um, uh, the game was published, uh, uh, the game has been published by Wizards of the Coast since 1997, um, derived from a miniatures war game uh, of 1971 called Chainmail, um, serving as the initial rule system. So something's got to come from somewhere. So that's where it came from. Now, Accelerate 2, uh, I believe 2016 is when um, designers Richard Baker, Bruce Cordell, and Jeremy Crawford spearheaded um, the release of the starter kit for the new fifth edition system of Dungeons and Dragons um, and their system, they use the D20 and we'll talk about that right away. Um, so let's talk about it now. The overview and the nuts and bolts. So everything in this box, everything you need to start playing the world's greatest role-playing game, explore subterranean labyrinths, plunder hordes of treasure, battle legendary monsters, the Dungeons & Dragons starter set is your gateway to action-packed stories of the imagination. This box contains the essential rules of the game, plus everything you need to play heroic characters on perilous adventures and worlds of fantasy. That's basically straight off their website. Isn't that exciting? So in the box or in this kit, um, uh, it says that it's uh, ideal for a group of four to six. You could even play it a single player. Um, if you have the experience and you know how to balance the game. But um, it includes 64-page adventure book with everything the Dungeon Master needs to get started, a 32-page rule book for player characters from levels 1 to 5, five pre-generated characters and empty character sheets, and six dice um, ranging from uh, D4, D6, D8, D12, and your beautiful D20. Um, so this, uh, game system, I keep saying it's a D20, uh, system and it was the start of basically all of the RPG stuff that I'm familiar with. Um, the, there's characters, the races, the classes, the backgrounds, the adventures, uh, as it was stated in their explanation, um, the imaginative role play and in the, and the improvisation of this game. Um, the mechanics, the most intensive set of rules <laughs> and fringe exceptions to rules that I've ever, ever read. It puts fantasy flight rule books to shame. This thing is like a phone book when it comes out to rules and, and, uh, and system requirements. But once you understand this and once it is uh, in your frontal lobe, um, it's there to stay, hopefully. Okay. Um, now, <laughs> we always say with the games, how do you win the game? You don't win Dungeons and Dragons. You just keep playing. <laughs> I've never, I've, I mean, that's the big joke of it. It's like, how did your D&D &D session go? We won, right? Um, there's never really a winning. There's just a continual adventure and continual development and, and, and uh, leveling up of characters. So uh, getting straight to the opinions. We always start from the outside in. Now, gentlemen, I hope you have a look at this box cover because it's awesome. There's a 
freaking green dragon right on the cover about to slay the entire party. There's four people, your standard four people, uh, you know, your fighter, your magic user, your cleric, your sorcerer, up against the, the cover. Just makes you want to just dive into this thing, at least, you know, me. Uh, the components, as I stated before, everything in the box is everything you need to get started on this game. Uh, the rule book. Now, this was, now again, I'm kind of going ahead of myself. I've been playing this, I've been playing D&D since the 80s. And um, this uh, um, rule set, this 5E rule book, um, this is what got me back into it. This starter kit got me back into this whole D&D world. And I'm so thankful for it. Um, the, the rule book, the player's handbook that they give you and the DM's guide that they give you in the, uh, in the starter kit are excellent. The walkthrough is excellent. Um, they made they made a conscious effort to uh, have this not be a difficult learning curve. Um, the, yeah, I, I can't be happier with what I, what I read and what I read through in regards to both the campaign and the DM's rule sets. Um, the campaign itself uh, in, in, in the starter kit is called The Lost Mine of Fandelver. And by far, it is, I, I put this in my notes, it's top three of all the campaigns that I've ever experienced. And I'm talking, I've experienced campaigns since the 80s with this, with this game system. And uh, the people who wrote Lost Mine of Fandelver, hats off to you. What a great um, reintroduction for me, at least, to this uh, game system and this world. Um, this is, we always talk about unique mechanisms. Um, this is where I'm going to put this. This is the quintessential sandbox game. All these gamers talk about, oh, it's a sandbox. This is the sandbox game. There are no borders. There are no boundaries. The, the only boundary is your lack of creativity and imagination. So um, it's anything that your players or your DM want it to be and want it to explore to be. Now, uh, um, I DM a lot of stuff and... Uh, it's, it's, it amuses me all the time that I'll spend a couple hours getting things ready and having the story ready and the players will make decisions and they will go completely off the rails into an improvised direction that I have not planned for, but I have to be the, you know, like an improv director and I have to be, you know, a sentence ahead of them in regards to how this story is going to develop. And, um, the uh that that's the the unique mechanism also is you need to have a good dm to lead this this game to be it to be what it's supposed to be and what it can be that's the unique mechanism is the the people around this and i'll i'll get it i'll get more into this in the conclusion because i've got a great metaphor for this um does this all connect i'm not going to say what i got in my notes but yeah <laughs> Absolutely, this all connects. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I can't say that word because I'll have to beep, but beeping, yeah, this thing all works. Um, I love this game. And that's kind of leading me into my conclusions. Um, the game system in this starter kit uh, is a must if you've never tried it and want to try it or have played it in the past and don't know how to get back into it again. This. Uh, and, and the price point I think is like, it's below 30 bucks Canadian, right? Which I think is a dollar 25 American. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but 
Yeah, if this, if you've ever even thought about, oh, this interests me, get the starter kit, have it a read, right? I mean, yeah, you won't, you, you can't go wrong with this. Um, this game has been a top shelf game since I played it back in the 80s. And I didn't even know what a shelf looked like back then. Um, huge footnote, right? Here's, here's the yeah, conclusion. kids don't know what shelves look like. Yeah, they don't know what shelves look like. When I was your age, I walked up a shelf back and forth to school. <laughs> no. Um, so my huge footnote for this, and this is like, like bold face. It's like a musician finding the right group of people to play in a band with, right? A good D&D group is much the same thing. Once you find a group of people that clicks and gels together, you'll never experience a more memorable gaming event, right? And on my last little footnote here is I can still tell you stories of events that happened in game sessions um, from 25 years ago as though they happened last night just because the narrative and the experience and the engagement and, and the commitment to, to, to what's going on, it, the, the anxiety and the stress of, of, okay, this is what I want to do. And boy, oh boy, I've mitigated all the statistical data for this dice roll to happen. And, and even when it tanks, even when you're like me, when you roll a one critical fail on a regular basis, the story is just so much fun because of that idea of having that, the, the band, man, the band, the band's back together. Right. So for me, um, yeah, the D&D 5th Edition Starter Kit. Yes, 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 yes. I cannot encourage you more to go and have fun with this. Cool. Gentlemen, have I convinced you? Well, I've, I played a little bit of D&D way back, probably early university. Um, so, we're, yeah, so we're talking like 20 years ago now. Um, no, I, I, I remember, I remember enjoying having uh, a few, a few sessions uh, here and there. Uh, I want, I want to, I want to bring back old Rao Gore back, in, <laughs> back into, back into play. And I think, isn't this the Ameritrash that the word is based on? Because it is that whole trashy roll the dice and go randomness and probably. Yeah. So cool. that's my, that's, that's my, that's my dinosaur input for the day. A green dragon. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge from right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Right on. So I'm going to take over our dino Apparently, apparently we, we, we picked two dinosaur games to review this time around. So this will be, yeah, be yeah. so this will be actually quite quite interesting. We probably can do a little bit of a comparison, a little bit along along the ways too. So oh, for sure. My my pick um, this time around was Dinosaur Island, um, designed by Brian Lewis and Jonathan Gilmore, um, and published by Pandasaurus Games. It was released in 2017 here. 
Um, and it plays one to four players in about hour and a half to, to two hours. Um, so what's going on here in Dinosaur Island? Well, in Dinosaur Island, players are going to have to, you know, you're going to have to collect DNA, research DNA to, you know, create some dinosaur species, combine things all together, um, pick a, build, build, a, you're building a theme park, really, of, of dinosaur attractions and roller coasters and food vendors and all this kind of stuff. And you got to manage your dinosaurs properly because, uh, you know, things might happen and you don't want your patrons to get eaten and whatnot. So over the course of a game of Dinosaur Island, you're going to be um, leading, you're going to be kind of like the manager of one of these these rivaling parks. And you're going to hopefully do your, your management better than the other parks. And yeah. So what's the goal of Dinosaur Island? Like how, how does one park compare to the other park? Well, you got to earn some victory points. Right, Ian? It's all about is victory most, points. Is it most points? I, uh, wait, let me double check here. Yeah, it's most victory points at the end of the game wins. Perfect. Um, so you'll earn victory points in a variety of different ways. Um, but the main ways, you know, you're going to have to build some attractions, attract some visitors to your park, and, you know, hopefully they survive your park. Um, cre- creating dinosaurs like that if it's named Dinosaur Island, you're going to have to get some points from those dinosaurs. And in this game too, you're going to have to complete some objectives. So uh, at setup, you're going to choose a number of these objectives on the based on the player count, uh, however many players plus one. And uh, these objectives are kind of neat as they're divided into the three different game lengths. There's a there's a short game stack, there's a medium game stack, and a long game stack. So you can choose how long your game is going to be. Is it going to be like a short game or is it going to be a game that's going to take like the full two, two and a half hours to, to play through? My little side note here, never play the short game. <laughs> it's way too short. Uh, players will complete, uh, complete these objectives throughout the game. You're going to have to do something like be like the first person to have 10 dinosaurs in their park or be the first person to have so many visitors come to their park and stuff random uh, stuff like that. But once a player has completed an objective, once an objective has been completed by a player, the other players are now shut out. They cannot earn the victory points of that objective anymore, which is kind of adds a little bit of a, of a race element to the, to the game. And you don't want to be the person that misses out on completing these objectives. They, they could be game changing at, um, at the, at the end. Um, the objectives are also the game timer. Once all of the objectives except for one if there's still one if there's only one objective left uncompleted that's going to trigger the end of the game here uh gameplay gameplay is divided into four different phases and really this is a table hog every phase has a different board on the on the table so i'm going to try to i i know i got in my notes here i've got them pretty detailed out here but i'm going to try to go through them as as fast as possible here um, phase one is your research phase. Um, what you do in this phase is that you are researching your dinosaurs. So you got some scientists and they're various levels, one, two, and three. And these scientists are going to go get you your DNA. They're going to um, research dinosaur, res- I, gonna, I call them recipes. Like what, what, do you, what kind of DNA do you need to make your dinosaur? Um, and you can also increase the, the DNA storage of your of, of your laboratory because you can only store so much DNA unless if you research 
and upgrade your, your laboratory so it can hold more DNA. And the DNA is really the, 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 one of the key resources in this game because that's what you're going to need to use in order to make your dinosaurs. In the next phase, after, the, after you've done your research, you're going to do the market phase where you're going to buy upgrades to your park. And what you're going to be doing here, you're going to buy attractions. You can buy roller coasters. You can buy food stands. You can buy hat stands. You can buy all these different things that are going to hopefully attract uh, people into, into your parks. And everything has, uh, oh, you can also buy specialists. Some, you can buy some special abilities for, for um, your gameplay. And everything's based off of what row. They're, they're all set out in a row. And they all cost anywhere between 2 to $5 for these different types of upgrades that you can make to your park. Phase three is where the kind of like the meat and potatoes happen of this game. This is the worker phase, where it's a little bit of worker placement. And it's also this phase where everybody takes their actions simultaneously. You don't have to wait for people to place all their workers, then you place your workers and so forth. This all can be done at the exact same time. And we haven't had any problems with this. But what you're going to do is that everybody's laboratory has the same four actions. Um, you can refine DNA, so you can trade some basic DNAs in for advanced DNAs. You can, this is where you actually create your dinosaurs. So you spend some DNA as long as you have it um, and uh, you have a dinosaur and you have the space for the dinosaur, you can create a dinosaur. Um, you can increase the holding spots for your dinosaurs so you can hold more of them. And you can also increase your security, which you're going to probably need to do because, you know, all those dinosaurs, you don't want them just running rampant around your park eating your visitors. And if you can't think of anything else to do, you can also just use your workers just to get you some money so that you can buy things in the next market phase. Now, creating dinosaurs is pretty much the name of this game. So I'm just going to talk about that briefly. So when you make a dinosaur, your park excitement level is going to go up. It's going to increase. And as as well, your park threat level is also going to um, increase. Excitement is how your you attract visitors. If you got an exciting park, more people are going to come to your park. And that's going to be very important in the next phase. You want people to come to your park. Um, each dinosaur, oh, sorry, and then the, the threat level is also going to go up because if you have a certain threshold of your threat, you're going to need to have security that matches that threat or else bad things are going to happen in the next phase. Also, the most important part about these dinosaurs is that they're all worth a certain number of victory points based on the size of dinosaur that you, uh, that you have created. And the last phase that's going to happen is called the park phase. This is where the players will attract visitors based on their excitement level. So if my excitement level is five, I'm going to attract these five visitors to my, to my park. And what we do is we draw them out of a bag. And there's two different types of visitors. There's patrons. They're, they're, they're the friendly people and there's hooligans. And I really like the fact that they named them hooligans in the rule book. It's the only time I actually ever get to say the word hooligan other, outside of teaching. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're a teacher, so you probably say lots. <laughs> and uh, what you're going to do is well, you'll draw these and you'll get $1 for every patron. You don't get any money for hooligans because they're sneaky and they don't do things by the rules. Um. After you've attracted your visitors, you're going to now see if you have room for those visitors in your park. Um, so certain dinosaur exhibits have certain room and certain um, attractions have room for visitors. But if you um, have attracted too many visitors, 
and you don't have enough room for those people to visit, um, there's some people that are not going to get into your park. And the people that don't get into your park are not going to score you any victory points. Um, you have to check your security level at this point, because if your security level is not up to your threat level, well, um, your patrons are going to die. They're going to get eaten by the apparently rampaging dinosaurs because you don't have enough security to hold all those dinosaurs it, it, in place. So people are going to die. And every person that dies as a result of this, you're going to lose a victory point for every person that dies this way. Uh, where am I here? Uh, so then anybody survives, you're going to score points for any people that um, do survive and, and, and such that. And after this, you're going to be some round cleanup and then you're going to wash, rinse and repeat over again. Um, with the, uh, turn order changing based on if you're last place in victory points, you're going to get to go first in turn order for the next round. Okay. And you're going to do that until one of those, um, to the end game triggers of the uh, all but one objective has been completed type thing. Okay. Opinions. Um, your box is your standard ticket to ride size box. I'm just going to leave it at that fits nicely on my shelf with all my other ticket to ride size boxes on my shelf. Um, the art here is very eighties, retro psychedelic, vibrant neon colors. Um, I'm just going to remind Ian here of the, the oh, can you, well, I no, remember. No, you remember it. Um, I can see what they were going for in this art direction, but it really doesn't do it for me. Um, it's a, it's fun. It's a color palette that, you know, it doesn't get used very often in these um, family-style strategy games. Um, but for me, it was just a little too cartoony for the style of game that this is. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't fit the theme. Of, no, it of doesn't. Denison. Because I think, obviously, this game and the game I'm going to talk about are heavily influenced by Jurassic Park, right? Yes. And Jurassic Park came out in the early 90s. And that's where this, this whole art scheme comes in. But the two have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> like, it's, it's, not like, it's not like Jurassic Park is a movie set specifically in that time period. It's kind of a timeless movie. It doesn't have to be set in the early 90s. It's not like they had a bunch of people running around there with fanny packs and boom boxes up to their, up to their ears, right? It wasn't that it's not a early 90s late 80s movie so why did they why did they choose this i don't know it doesn't i don't know it's it's very it's very unique from. it it you you'll definitely notice it yeah if it's sitting on a shelf it, i i don't know if that's what they were going for but for me uh, or apparently us it really <laughs> kind of misses the mark art direction style yeah. um i'm going to talk a little bit about the rule book here it's very wordy. It's got lots of words in it. Um, even the sections where they try to give an example of how some gameplay elements work, they're very wordy. And it's 16 pages long. It's 16 pages of text. And so um, not enough use of the graphics. It, it takes you a couple read-throughs in order to make sure you've got all these. I'm telling you right now, don't read this rule book. It is, if you can get through this rule book by just reading all those words, good on you. But just go watch the Rodney Smith Watch It Played. Like, there you go. It, it's, uh, 
yeah, it, it's a, it's a pain in the butt to read. It, it's just way too wordy for, for my liking. Now in that fact, they do cover everything very extensively. They're they're They don't leave no edge cases inside of this rule book, but at what cost? Uh, <laughs> The components. Now, I'll make a mention here. I own the first, uh, the first Kickstarter edition, the deluxe edition, and so that's really kind of what I'm commenting on here when it comes to uh, um, the components here. Um, the big thing that people are going to draw their attention to are the dinosaur meeples in, in in this in this game. In the Kickstarter, you got the different shapes of all the dinosaur meeples. You're not going to get that if you just buy it off the shelf on, on a retail edition. You only get one shape of dinosaur in the retail edition, which is a very bold position to take if you're, when you're releasing a dinosaur-based game. You're gonna wa- I want a T-Rex meeple. I want, all these, I, want, I, want all the, I want all of the things. On top of this, too, they're pink plastic. So the pink I get. They're, they're, they're trying to meet the art direction. I, I, I totally got that. But they're also they're, they're they're plastic meeples. Now I'm kind of like Ian here, and I like I like wooden components. I'm old school Euro guy. I want to I want some cubes. I want some wooden cubes. And I want wooden meeples. I don't know if this was a this was a costing. Now I know they explained it in one of their Kickstarter updates, and I can't find that update for the life of me. I probably deleted it because this was already like three years ago old. It's probably some sort of costing. Because I remember Jamie Stegmeyer talking about pendulum and why he chose to use plastic components. Or pendulum instead of the uh, instead instead of wooden components. And it's it's a cost it's a cost thing. This game is a table hog. I mentioned that before. You have a research board for phase one. There's a market board for phase two, and for that market board, you also need to line up cards and tiles and everything beside it. On top of that, every player at the table also has a laboratory board and a park board there's a board for everything in this game it takes up a tremendous amount of space even at two players and i don't know that might be off-putting because this is looks very very daunting to some people when you just kind of first look at it and you see all of this stuff um, um everywhere um the original deluxe edition came with these metal coins and this was a big complaint because I like metal coins in my, in my deluxified um, upgraded games. But these things are absolutely massive. Do you remember this, Ian, these do, metal yeah. coins? They are single-handedly the largest and heaviest metal coins I've ever seen and owned. Like They're like those old school pog slammers sized <laughs> um, metal coins. And I don't, I don't know, they're, they're, they're bulky and they're heavy. This was fixed, though, in the, ne- in the second Kickstarter, though. They made them thinner and lighter. I saw that. Um, this box is packed full of stuff. I've got it all kind of neat, 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 neatly organized. It's packed full. It's heavy too. It's very heavy. heavy. Well, well, half the weight is those freaking metal coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I haven't mentioned yet are these plot twist cards, and that's where the variability of this game comes in. There's 14 plot twists, and you only ever just use two in every game. The math people. That's 91 combinations. <laughs> and, and there are, they, they, they change some sort of the ways that players do things during various phases in the game. They, or they maybe even add some new things to the game. If it wasn't for these plot twist cards, each game of Dinosaur Island would feel very much the same. And some would even argue the game is the same every time you play it, no matter what. It kind of, once you've played this about 
four or five times. You've, you've, you've played Dinosaur Island. You, it's, you're not really doing different things um, every time. Every time. Uh, conclusions. So Dinosaur Island is an enjoyable for me. It, it, it's an enjoyable light midweight um, um, game. There really isn't anything groundbreaking inside of this game. It's, there's not complex rules. And it's not complex game gameplay. So that's why I put it in the kind of like the light medium weight weight category. Well, when this game is set up, it looks daunting. Like people will look like this, look at this and they'll say this is daunting. It's a table hog and it can be very off-putting. But like I said, the complexity is low. I love that they have different boards for every phase of the game. So like you, your, your attention isn't all over the place. If we're in phase one, everybody's just paying attention to phase one board. And then once we're into phase two, there's no reason to look at the phase one board anymore. We're just going to look at phase two now. And then if we're phase three, okay, now we're back down here. So they kind of did a good job in, in, that, in that regard that you're, only gonna, you're not focusing on everything all at once. You're just kind of focusing on little pieces um, along the way. I like that players can choose the length of this game, um, short, medium, or long. Um, the short game is just way, way too short. Um, it's once, once you kind of think, just when you think you're making something, you're, you're making something, your engine's going, the game ends. Um, it's very good to teach the game at a short game. But after that, you want to play at the medium um, game length. That's the sweet spot for this one. The long game can drag out um, just because you kind of keep doing things. You kind of wanted things that end like a, a, a round sooner. In, in a long game, I've always, I've always felt. But if you like engine building and working towards big objectives, the long game is for you. I like the medium length game. At the end of the day, did I feel like I created a dino park? Oh, well, in a sense, I did and didn't. Um, I love the management of the DNA to make sure that I had the right ones to create my dinosaurs. And I like that each dinosaur increased the threat level of, of, of my park so that I had to actually balance that with my security that's kind of like the the two big things that i, I also like the the laboratory upgrades i can upgrade my lab so that my actions become a little bit more efficient overall what am i saying about this game it's middle shelf like it, it it's nothing there's nothing groundbreaking but i still kind of enjoy enjoy playing a game of dinosaur island i can bring this to game nights and it's going to meet the different needs of a whole bunch of different gamers so it, it, it's a middle shelf recommendation for me Awesome. Do you have anything to add about Dinosaur Island, Ian? Well, I think, because I'm going to be doing Dynagenics, so I think we'll, as I go through my review, I think we'll just compare them as we go, eh? That sounds fair. And we'll, uh, we'll just kind of throw in some ideas and you can jump in. Sure, I like that. Go. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy online board game retailer located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles as well as restocking all-time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200 or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. Okay, so Dinosaur Island came out in 2017, you said? Yes. Okay, 
Dinogenics just came out last year, like January of 2019, I think. But from my recollection, they were both in production at the same time. Their, their, their Kickstarters ran very close together. Right. Their original so Kickstarters ran close together. I actually heard about Dinogenics before I heard about Dinosaur Island. Um, Dinogenics is from a company called Ninth Haven Games. And the designer is Richard Keen. It plays up to five players. And it's about 90 minutes, I would say, is a good average for the game. Um, and <laughs> in the game, just like in Dinosaur Island, you're building a dinosaur park. Uh, a lot of the, the main idea, the main concept is very similar between these two games. It essentially is. This is Jurassic Park, the game. Um, Jurassic Park is probably my favorite movie of all time. I love it. It's one of those movies where I feel like it was made just for me. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's a movie that many, 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 many people feel that way about, right? Um, and so I have a very strong affinity towards this theme just because I, when I was a kid, I was dinosaur crazy, as many are, I'm sure. And yep. Jurassic Park was like a absolute landmark movie for me. Like, I can't even express how much that movie meant to me. So, saying that, this is actually the only new game Kickstarter I've ever Kickstarted. The only other game I Kickstarted was the Suburbia Special Edition that came out. But as far as brand new games, this is the only one I've Kickstarted. I think you've done a couple more, right, Ryan? Um, let, me just, let, me, let me do the math here. I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so that should tell you how much how excited I was about this game. Um, I kind of when I heard about that and I heard about Dinosaur Island and I kind of looked at the two and I decided to go with this one. Um, and so we'll compare them as we go through. In this game, you are basically creating dinosaurs from DNA and you're building pens that are going to hold them in. Uh, the dinosaurs are going to score you points, but they're going to score you points every round that you have them. And so the earlier you can make those dinosaurs, it's cumulative. You're going to score every single round for however many dinosaurs that you've got. And of course, there's other ways to score as well, like uh, buildings you build and all of that. But the dinosaurs is your main point, um, point gainer. So in the game... Uh, you are collecting cards to get your DNA and it's very ticket to ride style. So mm. you have to collect a certain number of cards uh, to get a T-Rex or to get a Brontosaurus. The number of cards is going to be different for every animal, but that's basically what you're doing. Now in Dinosaur Island, there's a whole dice mechanic to this yeah. and like a, a track thing. And that's definitely more involved than it is in dinogenics. Right. Yeah. That was part of that research phase I was talking about. You right. send your scientists, they can either get you some DNA or they get, they get, go get you a dinosaur or, or, or something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you could actually take a little bit of that aspect from dinosaur Island and put it into this game, I think it would make this game a lot better because I think that there's, that's, 
something just a little bit more strategic that Dinosaur Island has over Dinogenics is that idea of the DNA using the DNA to make the dinosaurs. Yeah, because they just refer to them as DNA cards right, in, in this game. And they're, they're just cards, which, you, yeah, you, like you said, it's just a set collecting thing. And it's, you, could go take, you can go take an action and then I can create the dinosaur because I have this, I have the requirement number of cards. Yeah, that's right. Now, the way you get the cards is it's a, it's a basic worker placement game. Right? You've got spaces and you go to the spaces and you do the actions. Um, there's a few different ways you can get cards. Like you can just randomly draw two cards or there's a whole market thing that you can buy cards or sell cards to. And then there's this interesting boneyard idea where there's just a pile of cards in the boneyard and you can go in and see what's there and you can take any card you want, but you also take a scandal penalty. <laughs> um, but I like that idea that you can, you can go and pick any card you want, but it's going to cost you. I will say though that the digging through the cards is kind of like, you know, you're digging up dinosaur bones and you're going to get the DNA from these dinosaur bones. And so there's, even though it is just getting a hand of cards, there's is a kind of a thematic connection there. Um, okay. The box art and design, we kind of already talked about dinosaur Island. Cause I, there's, you can definitely compare dinosaur Island and dinogenics because that's, kind of where a big difference is, is in the concept design of the two. So yeah. Ryan and I have already talked about that. I don't understand where that 90s, 80s, 90s aesthetic comes from. And I don't know how it meshes with the idea of dinosaurs. This one is just a more of a straightforward, um, here are the dinosaurs. It's got a bit of a darker color palette to it. Uh, I think that could be lightened up a little bit more. Like it's almost a little too um, static. Like the box is basically a giant T-Rex and a pen. Um, I think maybe just a little bit of a lighter color palette might make it a little better, but I'm really nitpicking there. It's like yeah. the art and the cards and everything is really good. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, the the art in, in Dinogenics is, yeah, like I'm going to get a picture of a pterodactyl. I'm going to get exactly. a picture of a brontosaurus. But I agree with you. This it had a the the artwork had a very darker undertone. It's a little colder. It, it, it was that that's exactly how I want to put it. It's cold. Yeah. It's like it, it wasn't exciting. It doesn't draw me. But it's like it's kind of like dreary. Like are we like just like mad scientists? <laughs> and it, this is like this is like the dark darkness that's inside our minds creating these parks. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think it could be warmed up a little bit more, but that's okay. Um. The components, you've got these cool recessed player boards, and I really like these. So they've got little spots for your fences to go in. You've got like a park side to it, and then you've got kind of like the town amusement park side to it. And it looks great because it looks like here is your island, right? You've got little coastlines along the edges. You've even got a parking lot along one edge, and you can put all your tiles down and your fences down there. Um, I really like those individual player boards. It really kind of brings everything to life. The dinosaur meeples are great. So Ryan said that he prefers wooden components to plastic. I am absolutely with you on that, Ryan. Um, the, the wooden dinosaurs here are, I love them, right? I love them. So well, we get yeah, those dinosaur meeples are, are worth it. 
Yeah. Those, those are definitely worth it. You've got all the classics. You've got the dinosaurs that you knew from your childhood. Knowing, so the T-Rexes here, the Triceratops, the Brontosaurus, the Raptors, Pterodactyls. It's got the big hitters, right? We actually remember a couple episodes ago, we talked about uh, Marvel Champions. And we were saying, how is the Hulk not in the main box? Because he's like a big hitter. This is kind of this. This is these are the big hitters of the dinosaur world. These mm-hmm. are the dinosaurs you know. So they're all wooden. Um, they're even different shades of green, or what would you call that? A brown. All the yeah. all the carnivores are like a brown color. All the herbivores are a green color. And then you've got the mutants, which are <laughs> kind of in between. <laughs> and so they they're gray. They're their own thing. Um, but they're fantastic. Whereas Dinosaur Island has the plastic meeples. And if you didn't get, what is it? The Kickstarter, did you say? If you didn't get the Kickstarter. If you didn't get the Kickstarter, you only just got one shape. You got a Triceratops shaped (laughs) dinosaur. So it's it's weird because I'm like, in my park, I have pterodactyls, but they're they're represented on my player board with a Triceratops. It's absurd. So Norm... If you were to get a dinosaur game, you would want a T-Rex meeple in that dinosaur box, would you not? Yeah, I, I need to have a heavy hitter. Right. Yeah, you got you to have those. Yeah, you, you can't give me the lineup without including the lineup. Yeah, I agree with you. So, uh, good art and the cards, the components are, are great. The, th- the theme is really the game's strength. So when we talk about mechanics, it's really nothing new, right? The theme is the star here. It's, there's no real outstanding mechanic. The worker placement on, is on them all on the main board. And, you know, you go here to buy buildings. And you go here to build fences. You go here to get DNA cards. That's pretty standard. Uh, you need to be able to build pens for your dinosaurs. and oddly enough that's very similar to agricola right (laughs) so you have to build your fences pen them in except you've got uh, raptors instead of cows so there you go and your cows don't eat your children (laughs) yes that's right yeah um you're collecting cards isn't anything new it's just ticket to ride style uh you've got a card market that goes left to right and pushes the others out that's we've seen that a lot before it has event cards um which again we see lots of right here's the event for this turn this is what's going to be different with this turn and so on i think a lot of games like to do that with expansions but anyway so it's all kind of cobbled together what i really like though are the rampages right ryan (laughs) so the one cool thing that this does and i'm going to compare this to dinosaur island again so dinosaur island ryan talked about the security level so when you get Mm -hmm. a dinosaur you should your security yeah. level has to raise, right? Because you have a threat level. Mm-hmm. But that feels pretty abstracted in Dinosaur Island, right? It's just kind of a different track. Yeah, I, I, I make a dinosaur. The threat level now, because of the type of dinosaur I made, goes up two. So now I have to make sure that my security level also goes up by two points so that my dinosaurs don't eat my patrons. That, right. Yeah, it, it's very, because Dinosaur Island is very like a, yeah, it's an abstracted Euro base game in that regard and so in this one you also have a threat level but the threat level is specifically based on how well you fenced your dinosaur in 
And because each dinosaur needs a certain size of pen. And also you have to feed your dinosaurs. So they've got little goats so you can feed them, which is awesome. If you don't feed your dinosaur, if you don't have enough food to feed your dinosaur, or if you didn't pen them in properly, they're going to rampage. And so you've got to roll the dice to see how much damage it's going to do. How many visitors is it going to kill? Ryan went half of his game, the game we played last, he could not fence in his raptor, no matter how hard, whatever he did, his raptor got loose. So basically he had a raptor running around for half the game in his island. Eating if, the if, 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 if he wasn't penned, he, he wasn't fed. If he was fed, he wasn't penned. It, yeah. was, it, was, it was a nightmare. It was, was agri- Agricolosaurus. <laughs> he was constantly getting out. So I really like that. That makes it more thematic as well. That was, I like every dinosaur in the game also does something just a little bit different, right? So like raptors, when they do rampage, they're more likely to kill people. Um, so things like that, the T-Rex, when he, the T-Rex, when he rampages, you have to roll two dice instead of just one. Yeah. Uh, the Brontosaurus doesn't need a pen. He can just wander around the Island by all on his own, things like that. So every Mm -hmm. dinosaur is just a little bit different, which I also find is a real strength to this game um what else yeah i think it really feels like you're building a park i think both games are strong in that regard right yeah because that in dinosaur island you do have your park island you're putting in the attractions you're putting in roller coasters you're putting in shops you're also putting in your dinosaur pens yeah you're putting in nacho stands yeah (laughs) you're putting in all those things and in both games, you have to, you got to make room for visitors right. that, that come in. And in both games, um, the visitors that come in will give you money and also will score you victory points Yeah, in, right. in both games. But with Dinogenics, the way that that's done is just kind of... It's a little bit got the room, they come in. Yeah. And it's based on turn order. Whereas the other one, you're like drawing them from a bag. Yeah. And in that, so... Um, I think with Dinosaur Island, you had those worker cards. Well, what, sorry, what were the specialists? The specialists. Yeah. Um, so that adds more complexity to that game than to this game. But I also kind of found them incongruous. Like I didn't, I didn't well, actually like the specialists in Dinosaur Island. Yeah. The, the specialists kind of like are there if you want to kind of like hone a strategy, like there could be a specialist that allows you to upgrade your security um, better. Than, than 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 other than other players or the or you can ignore certain threat levels or you can upgrade your dinosaurs better or but i found them like they were just more of an extraneous part they didn't need to be there i don't know maybe yeah. Yeah, that's just me i don't know well, it, it, it was an abstraction of like hey these are people that you're hiring to help you with your dinosaur park you need that you needed a specialist you need a security specialist you need a hmm. dna specialist or so if, you, if you're looking for a game where you really want to have kind of that extra complexity and kind of um, almost like an engine, building your own engine with those specialists, look at Dinosaur Island maybe. Um, yeah. But I think that Dinogenics is just a little bit more streamlined in the way it works. It doesn't have those little... Well, what, I like, what I liked about Dinogenics cool. too was, that was the DNA link cards. The link, sorry, what is it? Oh yeah, yeah the, the link card, the uplink card, just, yeah. just the uplink card. That's what it is because they just kind of do something very, very like extreme at for one time use. 
Yeah. Well, they saved your butt that one time, right? Because you yeah. were, you had like three T-Rexes. Not enough food. You didn't have enough food for them. And we block, we specifically went out of our way to block you from getting food. And all of a sudden you got this card where you could kill one of your dinosaurs and use them for food. Yeah. We're like, oh, you lucky. It was amazing. <laughs> a little lucky. A little lucky. Um, so what are my kind of final thoughts on this game? I love this game for the theme, right? This is a dinosaur game. If you want a game about dinosaurs, this is it. Uh, you've got the rampages. I will say I would like there to be a way for the rampages to happen more often. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> see, th- that, this is the thing, Ryan. In your game, we actually had a lot of rampages. Um, but there are games where almost nobody will rampage, right? Um, so I or you're, think... Or you're just saying I, I planned poorly. I might be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, this is where those event cards come in. So the, the event cards change things up a little bit. But the way they've got it laid out is that you can see what the event for the next turn is going to be. So you can plan accordingly. And these are for all those like uh, players that really need to have all their information. But I actually think the game would be improved if you skipped that step and every turn you just flipped over the next event card to see what would happen. Because think about Ian Malcolm in the movie, right? He's a chaotician. <laughs> got chaos theory. We need to have a little bit of chaos and those events can add that. And that can say, hey, I've planned really well but this might cause my dinosaur to break out of my pen and then who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. They have, they have it set up for the people that don't like luck. Right. In, in, in their games. Right. But I think if you, if you really want to make this a great thematic experience, skip that middle step in there and just have the events come up as they come up. I think that would be, that would actually make it a more thematic and better game experience because the rampages are fun. Like they are, they're fun. Um, you kind of, it's fun to watch other people go through them. It's kind of exciting when you do it because you're like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to get destroyed? Uh, I really like it. So I think this is recommended to anybody who really wants a dinosaur-themed game. I think this is going to give it to them. It's not for somebody looking for new mechanics. If you're looking for a heavier Euro experience, you still want dinosaurs, maybe you look at Dinosaur Island, right? It may not be as thematic, um, but it'll be heavier and a little bit yeah, more. I'd, I'd, I'd put the complexity of both games probably out in the same ballpark. Yeah, would you? It, they're, yeah, they're, they're both not, like I said, they're not, comp, they're not complex. They're not introducing anything new to the genre, but uh, the, the rule sets on both are, like you, you did a very good teach. Like it was, it was a very straightforward teaching. Like we were, go, we were going within like 10 minutes. So. Yeah, I personally would choose Dinogenics over Dinosaur Island. I'm glad that that's the one that I backed, and I'm glad that that's the one I went for. I'm not saying I don't like Dinosaur Island. I do. I did really like the games that I played of that. But I'm, I'm very happy with my choice of Dinogenics. Right yes, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I enjoyed Dinosaur Island. I, I honestly, I own it, and I, I, I love playing it. After playing Dinogenics, I, I I really enjoyed it. I kind of also I kind of wish that I had backed that one, but at the same time, Dinosaur Island is still still great. It's still a great Euro based game with dinosaur with a dinosaur theme and funky art. Right. 
So yeah. are we at that phase where you uh, put that thing on a shelf? Uh, oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, it's, I want, I don't know if I'm going to put it top shelf just because of the, the idea that there's nothing really new about it. Right. Yeah. It's a middle shelf, but it's like a high middle. Can I say high middle? It's a high middle shelf. Uh, yes yeah that it's definitely never going on the bottom and an elite middle shelf there you go yeah all (laughs) right we'll say cool well um uh we're we fast approached that time um uh i'm glad you guys got to this part of the podcast because that means that you got to the end uh Uh, i'm your host norm i'm ryan i'm ian and we'll catch you later. <laughs> we are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, on Facebook, Bridge City Board Gamers community and on youtube at bridge city board gamers you can also find us on bgg guild number 3039